Welcome to the Tiger Cafe podcast, a show that provides unique and interesting conversations from members of the Princeton community. We are your hosts, Jen from Washington, Antic from Poland, and Nastya from Illinois. Every week, we will be talking with Princeton faculty to replicate authentic conversations that normally occur on campus in a cafe setting. Now, grab your favorite cafe beverage and join us for a fascinating conversation on this week's show. We are so excited to be joined by President Christopher Eisgruber today at the Tiger Cafe podcast. He has joined the Princeton faculty back in 2001 as the Director of Programming Law and Public Affairs and the Lawrence S. Rockefeller Professor of Public Affairs in the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs and the University Center for Human Values. He has now been serving as the Princeton University President since July of 2013. As president, he has led efforts to increase the representation of low-income and first-generation students at Princeton and other colleges and universities around the U.S. Princeton's socioeconomic diversity initiatives have attracted national attention from the New York Times, the Washington Post, 60 Minutes, and many other news outlets. President Eisgruber has also been a leading voice in Washington and elsewhere for the value of research and liberal arts education. He has emphasized the importance of both free speech and inclusivity to Princeton's mission, championed the university's commitment to service, and launched initiatives designed to fortify Princeton's connection to the innovation ecosystem in New Jersey and beyond. President Eisgruber, we are so glad to have you here on the Tiger Cafe podcast. May we begin with our uh, traditional cheers to replicate the cafe experience as much as we can. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's just such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Thank you. What's what's your beverage of choice? I'm really curious. So I, I I'm I'm drinking French roast coffee, cream, no sugar, which is uh, which is Ooh. definitely my beverage of of choice, and it's hard for me to start a morning without it. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, perfect. Again, we're so glad to have you here, and uh, I think it would be interesting to start. Well, you know, we have a very peculiar freshman year uh, for us, for all of us, and a lot of other freshmen in colleges around the U.S. Um, so maybe let's start by somehow relieving some of the moments from your own freshman year. Well, you attended Princeton as an undergraduate school as well. Uh, so I'm just curious, what are some of the highlights? What are some of the you know fears that you might have had? I'm curious, you know, how we'll be able to relate to this uh, or not relate to this uh, since, you know, uh, circumstances are very different. Uh, so would you be able to share uh, some of the thoughts on that? Yeah, and Tech, I'm happy to do that. And And first of all, let me just say, uh, how much I admire what members of your class are, are doing. I think uh, Princeton students and faculty have just stepped up in so many extraordinary ways to uh, attack this really kind of historical crisis moment that we're in. So it, it's impressive. And it's, you know, for me, it's great to be able to, to I know we're on a podcast right now, but I'm seeing you via uh, Zoom and uh, being able to uh, find ways to interact with Princeton students really means uh, a lot. So we we miss you on the campus and we want to get you onto the the campus. But Entech, you asked about my freshman year, and I you know I came from a small town in uh, in Oregon uh, from uh, Corvallis. Uh, I had never visited the campus before I began my uh, freshman year. I don't think I had ever been in the state of New Jersey. So uh, I remember arriving on the red eye from. Uh, Oregon as I began my freshman uh, year and I then took a van down Route 1 and I had seen all these pretty pictures of the campus and I was looking around Route 1 and I was thinking oh no <laughs> what did I get myself into but 
I got to the campus, it was beautiful. Freshman year was hard. And, you know, you, you talked about uh, what were my, well, my fears. I, you know, I, I don't know if I remember fears. Maybe I should have had more of them. I, I found myself getting, getting placed partly as a result of my own advocacy into uh, a set of classes that were a little bit over my head. And uh, particularly in physics, which was my area that I wanted to concentrate in. I was taking courses that were more advanced than I should have uh, taken. And I found, you know, a lot of freshman year was, was spent uh, basically trying to keep my head above water in those uh, classes. So that was hard. And, it, you know, for me, for it was an important lesson as a teacher. I, I found the one thing that I, that I really take away from that year, it was useful for me to know as, as somebody who eventually went on to stand at the front of the classroom, what it's like to be in a classroom and to be, uh, struggling to to keep up. Uh, kind of going along with your freshman year. Um, so you were here freshman year quite some time ago, and we're here in freshman year now. Have you noticed any like big dramatic changes within both like the school atmosphere, maybe what it's like to be a freshman um, at Princeton now versus how what it meant to be a freshman back then? Yeah, Nazia, thanks for the question. <laughs> thanks for reminding me that it was really a very long time ago that I started on the, <laughs> the campus. It, you know, in my memory, it can seem pretty short, but uh, wow. So it's over 40 years ago now that I, uh, that I began as a freshman on the, the campus. There are a lot of changes that have taken place at, um, at, at Princeton. You, you know, the, the student body is, is much more diverse in ways that Antec, for example, mentioned in his opening comments. And that's made us a stronger and better and more interesting university. That's terrific. You know, a, a really important change is that when I uh, was a student here, it had only been 10 years since Princeton had co-educated. I mean, it was really close at that point. And you you felt that in lots of ways, right? Women were only a, a third of the student body at, uh, at that point, whereas we're right around 50-50 at, uh, at this stage. And you also had a lot of uh, alumni at that point for whom that was still a controversial thing that uh, Princeton had uh, co-educated. And, and so that was a different part of the of the environment. Financial aid has gotten better, which I think has, has helped every student to thrive and flourish. And one really important part of the, the campus that has changed that I think you experience um, even and very importantly in these virtual environments is the residential college system has grown and, and flourished. So, you know, I, I talked about um, the struggles that I went through as a, as a freshman on uh, campus. And I did find people you know, on the faculty, people who are preceptors, uh, friends who helped to support me during that time. But there's a lot more support on the campus in a lot of different ways. And, and one of the most important things I think for students as they go through their freshman year, and particularly in these virtual circumstances, is to be willing to reach out for that. I mean, one of the things I discovered was, you know, going in and talking to my professors, if it was, if I was having difficulty in a class was something that they responded well to and welcomed and it made the difference to be able to find that those people were there supporting me. So there are more people now doing that. And of course we've grown in various ways. So there are entire fields right now. You know, computer science is our biggest concentration on campus. There was no such department when I got to campus. And I took a computer science course when I was, what I think I was a sophomore or a junior at that point because my, my parents who were always afraid I wouldn't get a job when I graduated, they 
they said, you know, if you just take one class, take a computer science class. Even at that point, they thought, you know, that'll make you employable, Chris. And, um, and there were like 30 people in the introductory computer science class. So that's a big change. That's awesome. That's fascinating to hear sort of the differences between then and now and how things have evolved. I know there's probably a lot, a lot of changes we could talk about for a while. Um, going back to you uh, majoring in physics, I'm kind of curious what got you onto that path and your interest in physics, how you kind of went along there. Um, so I, I think, first of all, I should say there are probably things in my, my family background that, that played into this uh, uh, too. I have, uh, my mother was an aeronautical engineer, which I thought was, was unusual for a woman when I was growing up. But now I look back at that, I think, wow, she was such a pioneer, even beyond what I what I understood. And I have two sisters who went on to get their doctorates in, in physics. So we have a kind of physics family and I eventually left the field to go into the constitutional law. But, but I would say uh, really important was this extraordinary teacher I had named Pat Cannon, who uh, was just a fabulous teacher. He, he ended up being in the junior high school when I was there. And then when I went to high school, he actually moved to the high school as well. So I can't, I can't even tell you how many different courses of mine um, he taught, and we're still in touch, right? I mean, I, I, I visited him out on the uh, West Coast a year or so ago, and, and uh, I keep in touch with him by uh, email. And, uh, you know, I, he came when I was uh, installed as the, as the university's president. It's just one of those reminders that a teacher who can make a subject come alive um, really can have an impact on uh, student lives. And, and so for me, uh, there was the combination of that teacher, and then there was the wonder at, um, at just some of these extraordinary questions that could be asked within physics. So I was really struck, you know, the Nobel Prize in Physics was awarded last week, and, and one of the prizes went to Roger Penrose, who, who I actually had, a, you know, I don't know how, how young he was at that point, but he came through Corvallis and gave a lecture when I was in high school, and I remember going to hear him, and I did not understand most of what he was talking about because it was general relativity and so on. But I, but I just thought, wow, these people who can think about the universe as a whole—that is—that's just an extraordinary thing to be able to do. So, eventually, I found myself kind of more moved by questions about uh, justice and and the organization of society rather than the organization of the natural world. But that's what drew me into to start with. Yeah, uh, because you ended up in the law school, right? Am I correct? Yeah, you know, this was one of those things where I, I say this to students all the time, which is, uh, I hope at some point at Princeton, you will take a course and whatever it is you think you're going to do now, this course will rock your world and you'll think, wait a minute, maybe this is what I want to do instead of what I always assumed that I was going to do. So at the beginning of my sophomore year, and this was an amazing sort of pivot point for me, right? I, I, I talked about how freshman year was a struggle. So sophomore year, fall term, I, I, I took what was a really difficult uh, course. I was still pushing myself and in a completely different field. I took constitutional interpretation, which at the time was, was taught by um, uh, this extraordinary faculty member, Walter Murphy. And I was actually told by my, um, my academic advisor told me not to take the course. She said, look, you're, you're a physics student. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be taking this as a sophomore. And she discouraged me. And I said, I really want to take that, that course. So I took constitutional interpretation. And that one I found 
there was just something where I took to it, sort of like a duck to water. It felt like the thing that, that I wanted to be doing. And I said to myself, wow, if I could study this for the rest of my life, that's what I'd really like to be uh, mm -hmm. doing. So that course was kind of a revelation uh, to me. And, um, and then I, I decided to finish up the physics degree, but, um, but I started taking more and more courses in those kinds of fields. That's that's really interesting uh, and kind of, you know, uh, so moving on from the whole undergraduate school and then uh, law school uh, because, well, you end up working uh, in academia uh, and well now as a Princeton president. Uh, so how did this path, did you see this path as something, you know, that you would want to do? Uh, and, you know, if you could also share a story, how did you end up being uh, in such important uh, positions at Princeton? Uh, that would be, I think, really interesting. Yeah, so I, I, I did not imagine that I would become a university president. And if you had asked me at, at many stages of my career, I'll come back to this, do you want to be a university president? I would say, no, I'm not interested in that. I did, I did think at, at Princeton at times that, well, maybe part of what I wanted to do was uh, to teach and, and to be an academic. Although by the time I graduated, I probably would have told you I wanted to be a civil rights lawyer. I mean, that was much more where my uh, heart was. I remember there was a faculty member who was advising me when I was applying for for fellowships in my senior year. Um, and he said to me, you know, Chris, you should think about being a faculty member. It's wonderful. You control your own hours. You can sort of look at whatever you want to look at. You have the freedom to study what it is you want to I want to study and 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 I thought well what's this big deal about controlling your own hours and and you know I want to make a difference and have an impact uh, in the world but as time went on I felt like well look the way I can have an impact is by studying these things that I love and the freedom to really study what you care about to to be walk into a library because you just have some question in your head that's popping around and and open up some book and realize you're doing your job by doing that, by pursuing this question that's fascinating to you, you're doing your job. That's an extraordinary opportunity and extraordinary kind of freedom. So not when I graduated from Princeton and maybe not when I, even when I started law school, but by the time I finished law school, I was pretty confident that if I could teach, if I could find a job, that's really what I wanted to uh, do so I got started at that then and I loved that from the beginning I just found being in a classroom with with students was energizing uh, to me having that freedom to to walk into a library and and just pursue whatever question I was interested in that was wonderful and energizing I enjoyed the the writing that uh, I was doing and to go to your question about about how I ended up where I am now um, a couple of years after I got to Princeton. So I had left the NYU Law School where I began my career and had come to Princeton and was running a program called Law and Public Affairs and, and just thrilled to be doing what I was doing. I got a call from Shirley Tillman, who was then the president of the university, saying she wanted to have lunch with me the next day to talk about the provost search and get my thoughts about it. And I went home to my wife and I said, you know, I don't understand why she wants to have lunch with me to talk about this. You know, she could just ask me over the phone and I could give her my thoughts at, at that point. And, and she said to me over lunch that she thought I should think about becoming the provost, which is kind of the second in command of the university, the chief academic and budgetary officer of the university. And I basically, I nearly choked on my tuna salad sandwich at, uh, at that point. I had, I had not thought about that. And I went home to Lori and I said, 
you know, I, I, this is a wonderful opportunity, right? I admire Shirley Tillman. I admire what she's doing for the university. She had a commitment to the arts and a, and a commitment to diversifying Princeton and a commitment to, to teaching. I said, I admire all that, but I love what I'm doing. I love teaching and I love scholarship. And that's why I went into this uh, field but what I came to, to believe was that this was a rare opportunity to, to kind of move out of my comfort zone, to do something different than I had done before, to learn a tremendous amount, to work with somebody whom I respected and uh, admired in Shirley uh, Tillman, and that I could go back at some point to scholarship and teaching if, if that didn't work. So I thought, well, this is an institution I love. It's an opportunity to serve that institution, and, and I'll take this position. And I found I did learn a tremendous amount, and I, I, I found myself moving outside of the areas where I had extraordinary expertise and into, into others, and that, that was a growth experience. So that's how I, I started to move into academic administration. Uh, you previously mentioned how you started to get really interested in social justice and things like that. Have you been able to continue to pursue that passion within your position now as president of the university? Ignacia, thank you for that, that question. I, I think yes in two ways. One, one is just that, you know, you go through life and, and in some ways you, you, you get more and more in touch. You, you realize, well, these are the things that drive me, right? These are the, the things that I keep coming back to. And, and some of that's about the Constitution and the rule of law and civil rights and what that means to people. And some of it's about education. I mean, I talked in response to uh, one of your earlier questions about uh, the teacher who made a difference in my life. And there are many teachers, in fact, who made a difference in my life. And I just realized one of the truths that I find in life is just that education makes a difference to, to people. And, and I mentioned both of those things because what I've found is that I've continued to have an opportunity to pursue both of them in this, um, in this job. Uh, you know, the education part, I suppose, is obvious. And, and Antec mentioned in his introduction what we've done to increase socioeconomic diversity at the university. It's just been a passion for mine because I think one of the, the aspects of social justice right now that really matters is making sure that, that we enable talented people from all backgrounds in this country and in the world to get the education that they need in order to be able to thrive and flourish. And for me, that's a part of social justice, right? That's, that's, that's a part of our mission. It's a part of what it means to make a difference uh, in, in the world. Um, Antec also mentioned talking about inclusivity and free speech. And I, I've been surprised at how much some of the work that I've done previously about free speech, about equality, about the constitution, about the meaning of the aspirations of this country have, have become important things that I've needed to talk about in this in this job. Um, some of that I'm, I'm happy about because I think we, we need to be thinking about those aspirations self-consciously and we have to realize that the work of this country is always unfinished work and, and that um, we are not being faithful to our, our ideals as a country unless we're pushing ourselves very hard always to do better, right? We can never be satisfied with where we are and we have to recognize that there are real significant problems that still need to be remedied. Some of it I'm, I'm, I don't know, stressed or, or even shocked about. There are you know, things that, that I've had to, to speak to. I think this is particularly true around um, immigration, uh, for example, that uh, 
uh, our country is is a country of uh, immigrants. Both of my parents were people who came to America from overseas. Uh, that is our strength, I think, as a, a nation. Our diversity is a, as our is our strength as a a nation. And and over the last four years, in particular, uh, I've had to speak to that. I've I've also around. Uh, racial justice and, and racial equity. Um, on the one hand, um, I, I think we are confronting issues through much of the country that we needed to confront much earlier in our history, and which is which are utterly critical to um, achieving our national aspirations. Uh, on the other hand, some of the things I've been hearing in our country um, of late are things that that I had hoped were in our past, and I wouldn't have to hear or or respond to. So. Uh, Basic answer to your question, Nastya. Yes, I've 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 thought it urgent to continue to speak to those uh, issues, um, and and just believe it's important for all of us to continue to to focus on those aspirations. That's great. That's awesome that you've been able to continue to do that, especially in your role at Princeton, um, especially with everything going on in the world. Um, so I'm a little curious too, with everything going on, obviously the pandemic, things are different this year. What does life look like for you right now? How are things different? Uh, how's family? Are you at home? Just kind of give us a little update. I think our listeners would be curious to hear. Yeah, so Jen, thanks for that. I, you know, it's different for all of us right now, right? I, I just don't, I, I don't know anybody whose life hasn't been kind of upended by, by all of this. I'm talking to you from, from uh, my study at home right now um, I, I do at this point, and this has been a change over the last month or so, uh, go into the office on a daily basis. I mean, part of what we're trying to do is just build strength and capacity on the campus right now to uh, be in a position to get students back for education that is both safe and uh, meaningful on the campus uh, uh, as soon as we're able to do that consistently with public health principles. And so Part of that, I'm I'm going in uh, more often, and, and we're just looking to build that up. Uh, you know, for me, this period, um, I think for all of us, there have been lots of things that we miss that are important joys, right? I mean, I just for you know, if you're in education, a lot of that is about engaging with people, and I love the imagination that produces podcasts like this one. So it's really this is going to be an uplift in my day to have spoken with with all of you and it, it gives me a taste of some of the things that I'm missing, right? To be able to, to do this, but it'd be even better if we were actually having a cafe conversation in, per, in person, right? You're replicating parts of it. Um, and, and I suspect some of the imaginative things you'll, you've done will inform what we're doing in the future later and make it even uh, better, but I miss those things. I've been doing a lot more cooking at home. I mean, I'm realizing how much I love to, to cook. My, my wife is a, a practicing lawyer, so we both have uh, uh, big careers. And during this period, we've had more time together to have dinner. Uh, I, I said to her, I think, uh, Laura, you know, you and I have had dinner together uh, more times consecutively during this pandemic than at any point in our, our marriage, which spans more than 30 years at uh, this point. So that's been nice, right? And, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm much better at preparing halibut than I used to be at the beginning of this uh, um, at the pandemic, but boy, I, I want to get back to where we can do more things um, in person together. 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Everyone's looking forward to that for sure. Uh, so just kind of to uh, well, slowly wrap up, we always ask uh, our Tiger Cafe guests about their favorite spots on campus. And I think with you, it will be particularly interesting uh, to get to know what are some of your favorite spots so we can recommend them to our listeners. And once we're all back on campus, we'll be able to explore uh, some of our favorites for our guests. So let me mention um, a, a couple uh that, that for me are particularly meaningful. I mean, one, you know, when you ask a question like that, my mind always goes to Firestone uh, Library actually. And I, I love the plaza outside Firestone. I, I love it this time of year when the, when the leaves are changing and it can be really beautiful. And I really love the library. And there's a, a kind of thing for me when I walk into the library, it takes me back to my undergraduate days and it, uh, it, uh, it reminds me of experiences, even the smells can remind me, the smell of the books, right, can remind me of those experiences. And, and some of it is something that uh, uh, my colleague, the creative writer Jhumpa Lahiri said one time in a presentation that she was making to students. She said she thrills to walk into Firestone and realize she's surrounded by all these books that she hasn't read, right? There's, there's this possibility of discovery when you walk in there that is just, I think, thrilling for anybody who loves the life of the mind. So that's one. And the neat thing about Firestone is for me, it always used to be a resonant space. It's now also a very beautiful space. So there are great study areas and, and it's so huge. There are so many places to explore in it. It has this kind of underground magical city aspect to it. So that's one. And then to be outside right now, particularly since outside is gonna to continue to be important for a long time, one place that I that I had been to, but I don't think I fully appreciated as a student, but I really love on the campus now, is the towpath down by the uh, canal. So if you walk, you know, some of our students find this and it becomes a really favorite place and it can be a great place to uh, run. But if, if you go down and across Lake Carnegie, there's a towpath that runs alongside uh, the canal and it can be a very quiet place to to walk there are some people who still bring their cell phones and talk on their cell phones i wish we could ban cell phones on the towpath because it's just it's a place to to get closer to uh nature but that's another one yeah perfect thank you for my thank you very much for for sharing this we, we're really looking forward uh, i guess all of our listeners are as well uh to get to explore these places nastia can a bit so she will tell us you know <laughs> uh, about the choices but uh, thank you very much for joining us in tiger cafe it was wonderful to talk to you and thank you for all the uh fascinating insights that you shared with us today well thank you uh and tech jen and nastia for having me on uh on tiger cafe this has been a real uh pleasure and thank you for bringing this creativity to our community it's been a pleasure thank you all right take care thank you for joining us and we look forward to having you tune in every sunday for a new episode with a princeton affiliated faculty member or alum Stream Tiger Cafe on any platform, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and others, while enjoying your favorite cafe beverage as if you were comfortably sitting in a coffee shop. See you next week on Tiger Cafe.